And now, Fastened Like Nails with Dr. Mark Hamby. Welcome to Fastened Like Nails. I'm Mark Hamby in the studio. With me today is Molly Mayo. Hello. And Colin Smith. Pleasure to be here. Okay, so I'm really excited about today's um, broadcast. And the reason why is because you just taught a course titled Chaos in Order. Colin? Yes. And I got to sit in the presentations in the final class today, and to say that I was blown away would be the <laughs> least that I could say. It was just, I, I wish I had attended the whole class. And um, it, you brought forth some illustrations in the end that mm-hmm. um, really made me think um, about parenting and how we need to, not only parenting, but also as teachers, educators, um, how to really... Um, Educate our children in a, from a broad spectrum. What, what is it that's going to really um, help them to become a successful, excellent, mm. help them to really um, <clears throat> gain understanding in times of chaos and during times of order? So mm. let's, there's a lot to discuss in this. And for us to do this in a 30-minute you know, period, is going to be, we might have to do this on several different broadcasts. But let's just start off defining the class. What's the class all about, chaos and order? Yeah. Um, so... The class is uh, a class. It's actually a Bible study class. It's designed to help your study of the Bible. Oh, cool. And so um, the class title is Chaos and Order in the Ancient Near East. And what we're dealing with is the Fertile Crescent uh, from Sumer, Tigris and Euphrates River, which is in the Persian Gulf, goes up through to Assyria, all the way down through the Holy Land, the Sea of Galilee, down to the Jordan River, over to Egypt. Mm. And that's what's called the Fertile Crescent. And so the class follows the course of the history of these two cultures that were so formative and so influential in the Bible. You know, Abraham comes from Ur, which is right down there on the Euphrates River. He comes from a a, a society of of people, a Sumerian culture. When you say down, I would think of that as up. So explain where Ur really is. So Ur is a little city off the Euphrates River. Um, It's kind of like downstream from from, uh, modern-day Baghdad, Uh, and it's right in... We call modern-day Iraq. So that would be northeast of of Jerusalem? Um, so Ur would be to – so to get to Ur, you'd have to go n- – from Jerusalem, you'd have to go north, up the Golan Heights, up into Syria and kind of Assyria. And then you'd follow the river down, down the Euphrates River all the way almost to the Persian Gulf. And that's where you would have Ur. It's a little city. It was it was actually a large city in its day, very influential. Mm. But um, when you look at Ur, you're looking at a society, and it's so formative in the first 400 years after the flood, in biblical and the development of Abraham and his family, and then Abraham follows the, the uh, Euphrates up to Haran, up the Euphrates coast, like a lot of um, cattle herdsmen, Semitic farmers. So he's coming to the promised land. Yeah, when he leaves Ur, he comes up. In order to get to the promised land, he goes up the river because you can't cross the desert. He follows the Fertile Crescent, and then he comes down into what's called the Levant or um, the Holy Land or modern-day Israel. Mm -hmm. And that's where he settles for a while. But then we, we read in the Bible, him and his family end up in Egypt with Joseph and then later on with Moses. And so... Kind of, they're going in full, Egypt. kind of going full circle. Yeah, and they're in Egypt for um, 400 years. And that's so inf- influential in, the, in the, the writing of the Bible, in Moses' writing. Uh, we talked today about the similarities between Moses' writing and Egyptian writing. Mm-hmm. And it's just so influential. <clears throat> so when you, what we're trying to do is we're trying to give people 
a greater understanding of the Bible by studying the nations surrounding mm. Jerusalem, surrounding Israel, and the nations that, that played such an integral part. They come from Ur, which is in Sumer, Babylon area, the Tigris mm. Euphrates. <clears throat> they end up in Egypt for 400 years, and then in the exile for 70 years, they end up back in Babylon for 70 years. And, and you see wow. all of these nations are so influential in the culture and the pressures. And, mm. you know, we talk about Sennacherib. We talked about him before. That's mm-hmm. Assyria. That's mm-hmm. that region of the Tigris, mm-hmm. the Euphrates yeah. area. Yeah. Um, so we're trying to teach the students that you can't just study Israel. You have to study broadly in order to <clears throat> pull broadly, in order to further what you're studying and the discipline you're studying. So it's true in life and disciplines. If you have a discipline, you have to learn to study broadly and then take what you learn from those broad studies in order to further advance what you're specifically mm. training to do. Yeah, we, we, mm. we do that all the time here. You know, at the Master's Guild, we take the students to a variety of places. We came went mm. to Roycroft a few mm-hmm. weeks ago. They got yeah. to see, you know, how the Roycrofters um, influenced the world, you yes. know, with their craftsmanship and yeah. gave them a, a, you know, an experience of excellence in their craftsmanship. Yeah. We took them to the Eastman School of Music not mm-hmm. too long ago. And we take them to different cafes to help them to see, you know, the cafes that are real successful. We went to Elm Street Bakery, went to Village Bakery. They get to see those different things. And in, in, in today, <clears throat> when, when so much of advancing and getting ahead and, and being successful has to do with innovation, a large part of genius and innovation is being able to pull broadly from mm-hmm. other disciplines and bring mm-hmm. them into your discipline in a way that no one has done before or they might not have thought of. And so if you can do those things, <clears throat> if you can take elements of science and bring it into your artwork mm-hmm. or elements of, of, of wisdom literature and bring it into your writing in a way that no one has done before, mm-hmm. that's innovation. And yeah. that's, how, that's how advancements are made. You know, when it's, Lamplighter was first getting started, you know, Debbie and I, we traveled to Europe, <clears throat> Canada, Quebec. We yep. went to different places mm-hmm. to see the cultures. Yes. We, in fact, a lot of our book covers were influenced by those travels, the arts and crafts movement. You know, like the book we've we used to have the book um, the Wide Wide World yep. uh, before we changed the, um, the the front cover of it. They used to have an arts and crafts um, design on the front cover. <clears throat> I remember going to the Uffizi Museum, Colin. Mm-hmm. Have you been there before? I love the Uffizi. It's one of my favorite places in the world. Oh, it's wonderful. It's called the Offices, actually. It was the office of Lorenzo de Michi. The word Uffizi just means office. Oh, it's interesting. But it's a beautiful museum. If you ever go to one museum, go to the Uffizi, Uffizi in Florence. Yeah, in, in Italy. And so we went there, and here I am looking at you know da Vinci's drawings. He was drawing helicopters and machine guns yes. before they even existed. You know, this guy had a vision. He, had, he was so creative. I, I read something this morning. Um, G.K. Chesterton uh, wrote something. The difference between a creation and a construct. Mm. A construct is something that you enjoy after it's, after it's um, created. Yeah. But a creation is something that is enjoyed before it's even started. Mm. You know, you, you envision it. Yeah. Um, well, when you talk <clears> about <throat> interdisciplinary studies or, or like learning across the lines and learning and pulling from other places, uh, we talked about that today. We talked about the, the Rosetta Stone, which is the, the stone that they found that helped them decipher hieroglyphs. Hmm. And there's two key characters in the Rosetta Stone. <clears throat> One is an English guy. His name is Thomas Young. And Thomas Young is born in 1773. He dies in 1829. But what's amazing about him is he actually, his, what he's really famous for, guess what he's famous for? Hmm. The theory of light. He came up with the theory of light. What? But then he turns around and he becomes the first person to point out that maybe we can decipher hieroglyphs. And he de- deciphers the first thing that's been read since 25 AD, <clears throat> the word Ptolemy. He reads it in hieroglyphs. We really? read hieroglyphs for the first time. 
And you think of this amazing grasp of science, and then he turns mm. around and he advances languages. And That's then the awesome. other one huh. is this French guy, uh, Champollion. You know, he was just a he was he grew up in a, he grew up his father was a librarian, and he knew languages. And when when they were looking, and no one no one put two and two together, but when he started studying it, he was the only guy studying hieroglyphs who knew Coptic, Egyptian Coptic. So he looks at hieroglyphs and he says, no, if you read this, this is just Coptic. The hmm. language of Egypt isn't dead. It's alive in Coptic. Hmm. And so he says, oh, we can read Hebrew or we can read hieroglyphs. Wow. And so the discovery of hieroglyphs is because someone broadly studied languages, not just one language. He studied so many different languages. And he was so well equipped because he studied broadly. Well, so like you were saying that the the language was dead for a while, but then because of his new innovation, yes. we were able to like recapture what was kind of lost. Yes. Oh, that's really cool. So it's like studying through studying the past, it, it also paves the way for the future, not just understanding the past. Yeah. Which is kind of like what you're doing in your class, right? Absolutely. Yeah, we're that's so, so cool. we're using the class to understand you know, there's these enduring concepts mm-hmm. that come from cultures. That we're trying to understand the concepts and what formed them, <clears throat> and it actually informs your life. Um, like one really fun thing we're studying today is uh, we studied for a short while love poetry. Oh, <laughs> and, that's funny. And uh, you know it's funny because Sumerian love poetry is very um, attribute based. They oh, describe the they describe the physical features of the person they liked, and that was what attracted them <laughs> to that person. And this and, and as we learned in the class, Sumer and Mesopotamia is more of a, a culture that is ordered around chaos. It's more centered around chaos. Uh-huh. And Egypt is more centered around order. Mm-hmm. So Egyptian poetry is being centered around order is more about the person they're interested in, the person they're writing love poetry, and their personal characteristics. Oh, interesting. Like she's wise, she's noble. And so when you read Egyptian love poetry, both have this similarity. Mm-hmm. And this is a great instance to talk about chaos and order in your life. Yeah. Love, mm-hmm. relationships, it's both chaos and order. Think yeah. of it this way. <laughs> sure. You have a bachelor whose life is very ordered and well-ordered. <laughs> you know, he, he's a bachelor. Yeah. Everything is in the place. He has everything where he wants it to be, even uh-huh. if it doesn't look like it. Mm-hmm. But along comes, you know, a young lady that he's interested in, and unintentionally, he's thro- his life is thrown into chaos. <laughs> It's thrown into chaos, you know. Now he's, you know, thinking about her and not about whatever bachelor things he thought about. He's not hanging out with friends. He's pursuing her. He's interested in her. But it's kind of a – it's an unasked asked for but in very much pleasurable chaos, right? Mm-hmm. So chaos isn't always terrible. The chaos mm-hmm. of love, for instance, and courtship and all of that can be very, like, mm-hmm. exciting and – but what comes out of that chaos <clears throat> is an order, a new order. Mm. You know, they court for a while, they they define their relationship, and they go through stages, and eventually, if it works out, they end up being married. And that marriage is a new order. Yeah. Okay, and, I'm curious about something. So you're talking about chaos and order, and then you had a really good description there. So, like, yeah. there's the verse, God's not the author of confusion. Yes. Is confusion different than chaos? And it's calam- yes. How would you define chaos? So that passage is dealing about the truthfulness of God, that he is not the author of ignorance mm. or calamity in the sense of um, moral calamity. Mm-hmm. So he's not talking, we're not talking, because here's the thing, um, God brings about chaos in your life. If you've ever been what? saved, you know what that means. <laughs> uh-huh. You have an order of things. You're unsaved. You're living your life according to an order, an unsaved order. Mm-hmm. What happens? God comes along, the Holy Spirit hits you, boom, word of God and Holy Spirit hits you, uh-huh. and then it's chaos. Mm-hmm. Oh my goodness, I, I'm, I can't do the things I used to do. <clears throat> I can't uh-huh. 
hang out with the people I used to hang out with. I can't live my life the same way. It's, it uproots your whole life and overturns it. But the new order he established is Christ-likeness. Whoa. And so the, the process of sanctification, becoming more like Christ, is chaos and order. That's crazy. It's God reordering your life. So God brings about chaos in your life in order to bring about a new order. Is that to kind of like push us into his likeness? Like the yes. new, like that's going to be the goal. And so it's this process, this balance almost of chaos and order to, to reach that? Yeah. When you see Colossians talking about him being the image of the invisible God or Hebrews 1, when you're like, he's the stamp, the very imprint. Uh-huh. Christ is the person we're being made to be like. That's the new order of things. Now, we're going to be ourselves, but we'd be like him. Mm. We're going to start to be conformed to his image, act like him, talk like him. That's the new order. But God does is he uses chaos to bring about that order. Mm-hmm. Sometimes challenges in your life. Someone dies, who you love, who's close to you, mm-hmm. to teach you a new order, a new to, a new reliance on him to make you more Christ-like. So God doesn't just use order. He uses chaos to to bring you about and mold you into the person you want. And I think... The image that God uses and Paul uses is a potter in the clay. Mm. Does the clay say to the potter, don't do this, don't do that? Well, there's an order to clay. It's a lump of clay. But the (laughs) potter comes along and brings chaos. He throws water, he twists it, he molds it, and he's bringing about a new order, this this beautiful pot. And he knows what he's making it into, but the clay doesn't know. But that clay goes through a lot of chaos, spinning around in circles, being Uh twisted and molded and stretched. And so even in pottery, that analogy we see, you know, with Paul using, um, that is chaos and order right there at work. Wow. You made that matzo bread last night that was really delicious. Oh, yes. But, <laughs> you know, that had to go through that process of chaos mm-hmm. into order so it's usable yes, tasty. Um, I've I heard someone say that, um, you know, to make matzo bread, you know, you have to roll it out, stretch it out. Yes. You know, and then then, it, then you fork it and there, yep. are, there are holes in it. And it <laughs> represents the, you know, the crucifixion in many ways. Oh, wow. Yeah. Yes, for those of you who don't know, uh, this week, Mark went out and bought a lamb, <laughs> and we ate the most delicious lamb meal it ever. It was so good. Oh. We cooked it for 12 hours. It was wonderful. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Rosemary. Oh, it was so good. Yeah. Um, and then in honor of that, I thought, well, if we're celebrating the Passover, <clears throat> I'm going to go out and make some matzo bread. Yes. <laughs> and I also made a, a nice, uh, it's sort of like a Egyptian Hebrew salsa relish. It's honey cashews, dates, figs, pistachios, and you mix them all together and you make sort of like a salsa and you put it on the matzo bread and it is delicious. Mm-hmm. It was unbelievable. It was super good. I think that's why I stayed up all night though. <laughs> it gave you that energy, right? A little, little sweet. Yeah. It did. I couldn't get to sleep. <laughs> well, okay. if you're staying up all night waiting over the Passover, it, it's, it's very right. effective. Okay. I want to back up a little bit. Let's go back to um, that discussion of learning a variety of things, yeah. you know, and um, and then bring, so you had a scientist yes. that was, you know, learning how to do hieroglyphs. Yes. Mm-hmm. So it's so important, moms and dads, as you're listening to this, and teachers, you know, that, you know, our Western way of education is, is it's so, it's so primitive. It's, it's not the best way to teach our children, not to, not to advance. Yeah. And, what, and I'm not trying to make this into a commercial, but what we're doing here at the Master's Guild, I think is just, it's... It really fits with an exceptional education because it's giving young people this wide berth of knowledge and mm. a, yes. a wide range of experiences. Yeah. You know, next it, year, it also goes with what Colin said about like teaching them how to think instead of what to think, and that's yeah. what he was kind of talking about yeah. with his class, yep. with well, studying all of it. Well, we're in the we're we're past <clears throat> the memorization phase. 
We're no longer in memorization. Everyone has everything they need in their iPhone. Mm-hmm. They can look it up. <laughs> yeah. You know, and, and what we're into is the information age. And so what you need to learn is how to think and discernment as a Christian. Mm. You need to be so quick on your feet with discerning things because there's so many things that are thrown at us so quickly. So learning how to pull from Babylon and Egypt in order to inform what you're thinking about the Bible, that skill you can use in learning how to take maybe um, something from this discipline and another discipline and merge them into your discipline in order to create something beautiful and unique and special. Well, look at David. David was a, a shepherd. Yep. Um, here he is. He's the youngest in the family. He's watching his sheep, probably the least of all jobs. Yeah. <clears throat> He's out there in the cold, right? You know, yep. sleeping with his sheep at night and, uh, and hot during the daytime. And what's he doing during that time? He's writing poetry. Yep. He's learning how to, how to throw a stone, yep. you know, and, and to hit the mark, which he eventually mm-hmm. kills the giant. He's also most likely making his own instruments during that time. Mm-hmm. In order to make an instrument, they would actually take sheep wool and they would um, they would wind it together. Mm-hmm. You know, what? and three strands of of wool is equally as strong as steel. Mm. You know, no so way. so David is making his own instruments. He's writing poetry. He's writing songs. He's he's becoming a skilled marksman. During this time, he's learning how to survive out there. Yep. He's using the lanolin from the sheep's wool. David is getting an amazing education out in the wilderness. He's not being idle for one second. He yep. comes back. He's got all these skills. Before he becomes king, he has already acquired these skills. Yep. And this, this is my hope. I hope our students leave here. And I just don't want them just to know about Babylon and Egypt. I want them to know if they're – so we have a really talented artist. Mm-hmm. I want her to be able to say, hey, you know what? I'm going to reach out and pull from music some concepts mm. for my visual art. And then I'm going to reach out and I'm going to pull from Shakespeare some mm. concepts for my visual art. I'm going to marry them in a way that no one has ever seen before. Or maybe, you know, if you have someone who's um, like, say, they're a farmer. I'm going to pull from the latest scientific mm. advancements to learn how to make my product the best organic mm. product I can make. Maybe it doesn't even have to be modern advancement. I was reading yeah. something from Joel Salatin the other day where the, you know, the, the bison, mm-hmm. you know, did you ever notice the, in the old, the old movies, the old Western movies, you know, the bison would be coming through. What did mm-hmm. they have setting on them? What, what was on top of them? The birds. Mm. The what? birds would travel with the herds. Whoa. Okay? And the reason for that is that the birds were eating all of the parasites in the in the stool. They were keeping the grass clean for the animals that would come from behind so they weren't continually eating all of the bugs, making the, um, the animals sick. Whoa. And so today in farming... Some of our natural farmers are following this practice, this ancient practice of, um, you know, using the birds to um, yeah. to be a part of the, uh, the agricultural process well, there. Well, it's, it's amazing, too. Like, just to give you an example of, of some of the benefits of pulling from other cultures, um, I'm not talking about embracing the religion of the gods of Egypt or the gods of, mm-hmm. Um, mm-hmm. of Mesopotamia. But let me give you an example. This is one of my favorite ones from class. Egypt is a, is a society of order. Mm-hmm. And their order is based upon the way they live and their environment. So think of it this way. You have the Nile. It runs south to north, super orderly. It gives life, and it's blue. Can, can, before you say that, just hold on to that yes. thought, okay? So the, the Nile runs south to north. That's against, the, against yes. gravity almost, yes. right? 
And here in Mount Morris, New York, where we are today, we have the Genesee River that flows south to north as well. And <clears throat> I used to tell people, I love telling people this, that there was only two rivers in the entire world that flowed south to north, the, the, you know, the Genesee and the Nile. You know, and that was like, and people would say like, really, that's amazing, right? <clears throat> so right here in our little village, we have the Genesee River that flows south to north. <clears throat> and then one day I was fishing <clears throat> on the New River with my good friend Chad. And, um, and we're sitting there, we're having the greatest time, just relaxing. And Chad goes in his southern voice, Mark, um, I don't know if you know this, but um, here in the New River... Um, it's only the the New River and the Nile. They flow south to north. It's the only two rivers in the world that flow south to north. And I just started laughing. <clears throat> I said, no, no, the Genesee is the only second river that flows south to north. <laughs> so we looked it up, and there are over 200 rivers in the United <laughs> States that flow south well, to north. <laughs> well, the wonderful thing about the Nile, that uh, the flow of the Nile, mm-hmm. is if you wanted to go from south to north, you could just jump in a boat, and the current would take you. But the winds flowed north to south. So if you wanted to go up the Nile, no way. you put up your sail, and it blows you right up the river. Wait, 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 wait. So south to north... That's the direction of the river, yeah. but the wind goes from north to south? Yeah. So you just put your sail up and you sail up the Nile. Easily traversed. So because of that... Wait, you know, wait. If you put your sail up and the wind's going against you... The wind you, is at your back and it blows you to the south. Oh, so if you're, if you're north and going back to Egypt... Yeah, if you're in the delta of Nile and you want to oh, go to wow. Nubia, which is in the south, yeah. you just put your sail up, whoosh, it blows you right, right up against the Right uh, against the current. Against the current, yeah. Whoa, that's Easily traversable. And um, so... Just for the course, when you look at the Tigris and Euphrates, the other one, the rivers are so chaotic. They flood. Sometimes they dry up. The course of them changes. Everything changes. So when you look at the gods of the Nile and the gods of Mesopotamia, the Tigris and Euphrates, they looked at that. And Romans 1 says when you look at the cre- when the creature looks at the creation and, ca- and worships it. So they worshiped the river and the river gods, and they had chaotic gods. Mm. And when you see Egypt and the stability, they worship order, orderly gods. So The sun god that came up every day. Every day. Everything was ordered. Interesting. And this is going to come so much into play later. And we went through in the course, every single god of the Nile and of Egypt is dismantled systematically in the plagues. What? We went through every single plague and how it dismantled every single god systematically. Cool. Right <clears throat> down to the center god, Osiris and Ra. And uh, the idea of Horus is the son of Osiris, and the idea of your son being your link to the afterlife being mm. severed when the firstborn dies. Wow. But think about it this way. You're in the Nile, and you worship Ra, the sun god, and the, the sky is darkened. Mm. That's chaos, unwanted chaos in a society that's built mm. on order. But um, back to what we were talking about with the, the Nile. This is I'm, I'm going to explain a little bit about Moses and how he's the product of Egyptian schooling and how he takes that and beautifully incorporates it in writing the scriptures. So Moses grows up in Pharaoh's household, right? Mm. And the Nile is based, so you got this order. The Nile is in the center and picture it as blue, the color blue. On either side, for like about a quarter of a mile, you have the most fertile land in all of the world at this point. Hmm. It's called Kemet, black soil. If you look at mm-hmm. pictures, it's black soil. So the Egyptians referred to themselves as people from Kemet. There, there was the land of Kemet, black soil. That black soil abruptly stops. On either side, you have red soil, hmm. bad soil, unarable soil. 
And so you have this symmetrical clay, picture. like right? Yeah, you have this symmetrical picture. North to south, up the center, blue. <clears throat> on either side, green, and then yellow. And you see all of their art are blocks symmetrically aligned, and even in that color order. So think about it. Their writing, they loved order and they loved symmetry because the Nile was orderly and symmetrical. So their writing is symmetrical. You can write Egyptian hieroglyphs left to right or right to left or up and down symmetrically. So if you look at it, if you pay attention, you always read towards the beak of the bird. Hmm. And so you can read symmetrically their writing. So their writing was like a mirror image, just like the Nile, right? Mm -hmm. So when Moses writes, he writes symmetrically with thoughts and ideas, chiasm. Chiasm is a symmetrical ordering like a mirror of your thoughts and ideas. So Moses takes the beauty of Egyptian culture, symmetry, order, and he includes that in the Bible, and he writes about the real God, the living God. And so he takes something from the world, an idea, concept of symmetry and order, and creates the most beautiful, I think the most beautiful literary tool Mm -hmm. ever, chiasm. Mm -hmm. And you see it all through Moses' writing, and every author after that reads Moses and imitates chiasm. Mm -hmm. (laughs) So you can redeem these ideas, these concepts that the world uses. You don't take the gods of Egypt. Moses doesn't take the idea of the gods of Egypt, incorporate Mm -hmm. their mythology, but he takes their writing style and this beauty, and then he makes it even more beautiful because he writes about something that's true, Hmm. the real and living God. You know, that, that is what we need to do as parents, you know, to encourage our children to broaden out. Yes. See what they can learn from from others. Yes. Then bring that bring that back, and then it, it, reimagine it. Yes. You know, and and to repurpose it into something more beautiful, so that it can be bring greater glory to God. Yes, because the whole book of Genesis is about identity. It's preserving the identity of God's people. Here's who you are and why you're here. Mm-hmm. And there's many more reasons. The redemptive arc. You have you know their, their identity is tied up in, tied up in the fact that God is going to bring about a Messiah. But you see, he doesn't give up. He's distinctly, we're God's people. And you don't need to surrender that. But you can learn to use beauty and art and incorporate all these, these, these rich ideas and honor God with them. That reminds me of soap. What? <laughs> <laughs> Just making sure you guys are listening. Okay. Interesting. <laughs> I could tell there's so much you want to share with this thing. So much. And, and I think we need to talk about, after this illustration I'm going to give, we're going to talk about... You know, the chaos and order in Mesopotamia, how disordered yes. and chaotic they were. Yes. I think we also got to bring in how, how orderly Egypt was. But I, I think we got to get to the point in the application of what happens when God brings disorder in your life. A death, yes. um, a, a divorce, yeah. um, a loss, um, Absolutely. A miscommunication or um, faults. Well, under all of it, we need to understand that Moses— takes the story of Abraham coming out of Ur and the story of them in Egypt, and he brings about a, a, an image where of not of the gods are about chaos, mm. like in Babylon, or the gods are about order. Our God is a God of both chaos and order. He holds everything in his hand. Mm. And he brings about the chaos of the plagues to bring about a new order in the promised land. Mm. And so our God is a God of chaos and order, so we can trust him in times of chaos and times of order because he's good. Mm. And that's the fundamental difference between all of these other world religions at this time in, in the Hebrew. The Hebrews were the first people to come forward that say, we have a creator God who's personal and good. Mm, that's He's awesome. good. He doesn't hate us like the gods of Sumer or not really care about us. In other, all these other religions, men are just clay robots The gods make for their own amusement. Our God wants a relationship with us. He's a personal God, 
and he's good. He loves us like a father. So you can enjoy God during the times of order as long as you don't allow your order to become your new God. Yes. Mm -hmm. And we also can trust him during the times of chaos and as long as we don't allow our chaos to bury us and become depressed so that we can't trust him anymore. Or we enjoy, enjoy our chaos too much. Look at, look at the people who love the chaos and the people who love the order. Mm-hmm. I think a lot of times conservative Christians fall more into the order camp mm-hmm. and liberal Christians will fall more into the chaos camp. Mm-hmm. But what you have to understand is a true master – so the first step is learning how to navigate times of chaos mm-hmm. and navigate times of order by trusting in God's sovereignty and his goodness, mm-hmm. him bringing about these things. Think of the book of Habakkuk. But then the next step is you learn that God brings about chaos and order and then you learn to, to prepare yourself for times of chaos when you're in times of order. And you learn to prepare mm-hmm. yourself for times of order when you're in chaos. And then you learn to participate with God in embracing the bringing about of chaos and order in your life in order to bring around a new change. Mm-hmm. And here's an example. I have a friend, Jason Barris, who married a wife. She's a wonderful gal. But her dad tells this wonderful story about how he got saved and they had a family idol. This mm-hmm. idol had been in their family for hundreds of years. And you know what he did? Mm-hmm. He got an axe and he started chipping at it, hitting it smashing it with an axe. 600 600 years is what they said it was, but it was hundreds of years old. His family had venerated it. And he was bringing about chaos in order to bring about a new order. We're going to follow Jesus. Hmm. Hmm. And his family was horrified. Hmm. But he was, he was, he was, God was using him to bring about a new order. And without the chaos and the, and the upturning of the old order, there could be no new order. Mm -hmm. And that's the same thing with our lives. God wants to replace the old stuff with the new stuff. And he's in the replacing of it is going to result in some chaos. It's going to have to you're going to have to get out there and shake things up in order to bring about these changes. Mm-hmm. My my wife and I bought a um, piece of art. It's um, it's a it's like a vase, only it's made of um, wood. It's yeah. made of it's kind of like cherry. But um, the artist, when he was forming this, so you got to so this, these are these knots on the tree, right? Yes. And they, they cut them off and then they they. Um, they cut out the center. They yep. they um, chip it out. It's really a very difficult thing. And the the um, the thickness of this wooden vase, mm. it's it's like eighth of an inch thick. So can you imagine being inside this thing? How do they get that thing, mm. you know, you know, cleaned out inside? That's just that's a, that takes a lot of work. Well, anyways, this thing cracked. Okay. And you could tell the artist at that time. I'm, I'm, I'm imagining what mm-hmm. was going on in his mind. It cracked. Not just cracked once, but it cracked in four different places. Mm. And what the artist did is he filled those cracks with gold. Whoa. It's absolutely, stunningly Whoa. beautiful. He took something that appeared, you know, that was being formed, and all of a sudden it was marred. Yeah. And all of a sudden, you know, someone would say, well, that's unusable. But actually, mm-hmm. yeah. he made it more beautiful. Well, and this is for the order people out there who don't want chaos. When chaos hits your life, that's where God really shows up. It's those mm-hmm. gold cracks, the gold in those cracks. Mm-hmm. When, you are, when your life, when chaos hits, that's when you see God the clearest. Mm. And the, the secret is you can't live there. You have to learn those lessons about God and use them to bring about a new order in your life. Okay, I'm going to end with this illustration um, about soap, um, there was a young man, this is a true story, um, this is in, I think it's in the 19th century, maybe 18th century, I'm pretty sure 19th century, and um, his father raised him to become like him. He was going to take over the new business that his father uh, um, owned, 
And his father um, put everything into his son to take over this business. But the son, for some reason, whenever the maids would come to clean the, um, um, the factory that he was working in, he was just enamored mm-hmm. with the way that they were cleaning you know, and he would follow the maids around and watch them clean, you know. And the father's like, son, this is not something that we do. We're of a higher level here, you know. You don't be following the maids around watching them clean. And then, you know, one day he, he told this one maid, he goes like, I think if you add this to your soap, it's going to help you be a lot – it's going to clean things a little bit better. You know, so he started experimenting on the side without his father knowing it. He started experimenting with these different products and, and chemicals to make some really cool soap. Anyways – um, it came time for him to take over the family business, and he looked at his father, and he says, Father, he goes, I really want to make soap. And his father's like, why? He goes, because I have this this desire and this love for soap, and I, I just can't get it out of my system. I spend all my extra time doing <laughs> it at night. Mm-hmm. He goes, Father, he goes, there is a building just a few miles from here. It's an old factory. It's um, It's not being used anymore. Father, if you could float me the money um, to buy this, he goes, I believe I can pay you back in less than two to three years. Mm -hmm. And I think I can have a successful soap factory. Now, this father, he just followed. He could see his son's heart. Mm -hmm. And he says, I'll buy the building and I will back you. I will help you get started. So... And now he had to think, not only does he got to make soap, now he's got to market the soap. Mm-hmm. And so he goes around to all of the maids in England, okay? Mm-hmm. And he goes around to them and he says, I'm going to give you a free product and I want you to use this. If you think this is really good, you can come back to me and you can buy it, the next one, for 50% off, you know? Mm-hmm. And he started making coupons, you know, for and, and flyers out. In, and so he's doing a little bit of printing. He's doing making soap and he's marketing and he's manufacturing. He's really into this, Right. And so he, he gives it to like 50 maids of London mm-hmm. and they're out there using their using the soap and the, like all 50 come back within two weeks. Mm-hmm. And, he's, and they told him, he told them where they could find him and he's got all the soap ready and these 50 tell another 50. Next thing you got 100 people coming. They tell another, next thing you got 200 people coming. And within six months, the talk is all through London about this soap product, okay? Within two years... He cannot keep up with the demand. His name, his last name, is Lever. Mm. Have you guys ever heard of the of the name brand mm-hmm. of Lever or Lever soap? Mm-hmm. Yes. Okay? This is where this all starts. From there, he starts a workforce. He starts training his workforce, and he realizes that his factory will only be as great as the people that work for him, and so he starts mm-hmm. to do something really cool. He starts building and buying cottages right near where the factory is. He's lined up cottages all down the street, and all of a sudden, each person's going to live, and he does this. He makes a flower garden in front of each person's cottage. What? He starts an orchestra with all the children that are part of the families that are working in his, working in his factory. He starts a cafeteria so that he can feed his people and take care of them. He's got gardens in front of all their houses. He's got an orchestra started. He's doing, he's doing much more than just starting a soap factory. He's taking care of his people. They become very famous in all of England, and the king of England hears about it, wants his soap, and brings him to, um, brings him to the, the castle there and knights him Sir Lever. Mm. True story about a man that takes this idea of soap. Didn't want to follow his father. His father backed him. He 
brought all of these new ideas together and as a rel- and doesn't just do soap. He does so much more than soap mm. and, uh, and becomes ext- extremely creative, extremely successful. And there's a lot more to this story. But I think of our children, you know, we have lost vision and creativity mm. today. Our kids need to be looking so much farther down the road and what they can do to demonstrate that we serve a God that is beautiful and creative mm. and enjoyable, you know, and the things that we can do for each other. Yeah. And that's the work that's so the the age we're in, the education is rapidly changing. Oh, it's so but awful. the old universities are not keeping up and they're going in all the wrong direction. Mm. They're going off a cliff. Yeah, they are. Mm-hmm. And memorization is over. You need to learn how to take all this information that's being thrown at us, process mm-hmm. it, mm-hmm. and use it to the glory of God. Mm. And that's sort of what we're teaching in this course. Amen. How to digest and to assimilate truth for the glory of God. Mm. Amen. Molly? We'll do this again. Another Fasten Like Nails. I'm Mark Hamby. Molly, Colin, thanks for being with me today. Thank you. And we'll do this again soon. God bless. You've been listening to Fastened Like Nails, a presentation of Lamplighter Ministries. Our mission is to make ready a people prepared for the Lord by building Christ-like character one story at a time. To learn more about our family collection of rare books, dramatic audios, or guild programs, visit lamplighter.net. To hear more podcasts, search for Fastened Like Nails wherever you listen to podcasts. If you have a question you would like to submit for the Lamplighter team, visit fastenedlikenails.net and fill out the form. That's fastenedlikenails.net. from the creative minds and talents behind Lamplighter Theater. I've never seen anything like it. This summer, Lamplighter presents The Lamplighter Guild. A week of mentoring and apprenticeship in the dramatic arts. Learn script writing, music composition, sound design, directing, and voice acting from world-class professionals. Registration for the Lamplighter Guild is limited, so sign up today at lamplighter.net, lamplighter.net.